100 team members, staff members that serve on staff with us in Africa, Haiti, at some of our thrift stores in Alabama. And so um, I did get to bring one of our team members, our COO and CFO. He brought his son, Jacob. His name is Connor Gallagher. Connor, will you and Jacob stand? Thank you guys for what you do. Uh, afterwards, we'll be in the back. Uh, we've got a little table with some materials. We'd love to talk with you more. Uh, my bride, my best friend, uh, she wanted to come up. Uh, we've got a little one-year-old, though, and so uh, she decided wisely not to make that long trek from Alabama. And so uh, Miss Audrey McKelvin, she sends her love and her greetings, our little daughter, Given Gracia. Um, I think she sent her greetings. It came out gaga goo goo, but I think I'll, we'll just pass that to you. And then our little man, Arrow, pray for me. This is my first solo trip with our three-and-a-half-year-old. So I'll just let you know, after like an eight-hour flight, or two, like a one-hour, a two-hour, like all-day travel, we landed in Anchorage, and he said, more planes? I was like, no, we're done. <laughs> like, we're done. So he's, he's on fire. He, he tore up your nursery first service, so they actually took him off-site during second service. But our family, we love you all. We're thankful for you, and they send their greetings. Uh, I'm glad to be here this morning. Uh, I hope you're glad to be in church this morning. Uh, I like to interact and I like to feel the energy. So are we glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Yes, all right, cool, yeah. So if that's you, turn to your neighbor and say, it is good to see you in church today. All right, all right, all right. So now you had a first choice and a second choice. I don't know what made you choose your first choice, but turn to your second choice and say, you look like you could use some church, my friend. <laughs> Justin has just heard that and said he's never coming back again. <laughs> People come to church for a variety of reasons, and, and I get that, uh, but, but from what I've heard about what God is doing here, I, 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 I'm going to make a statement that I think is true. I believe that most people that are here today, uh, you are here because you love God and you want to make a difference. Uh, I could be wrong, uh, but if that's you, if you'd say, you know, I'm not perfect, but I do love God and I do want to make a difference, just slide your hand up. I want to see who I'm talking to. Okay, great. I had two messages. One is about difference makers and another is a different, I'm going to go with the first one. So I'm talking to a room full of difference makers, folks that want to make an impact. Well, so here's the reality for, for, for anybody that, that that's, that's kind of your orientation. There's two problems that become immediately real as soon as you kind of dial into, I want to live an impactful life. I'll, I'll call it competing agendas and a ticking clock. Right, so think about that with me for a moment. Maybe now or in a period in your life, you, you felt uniquely connected to, to God's call, like, like you're leaning in. You feel a sense of living more on purpose, and then a zillion distractions come in, don't they? Temptations, distractions, and we find ourselves constantly being bombarded with competing agendas, constantly being redirected, and, and all the while, life is moving by. You ever pillow your head at night? kind of look over the day, think over the events and say, dear Lord, there must be more to life than wiping tails and paying bills. Anybody relate? Right? We get caught in the mundane and just kind of like, 
I'm just going to go with the flow. I uh, came to faith in Christ at a young age, and, 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 and a relative, in relatively short form, uh, my competing agendas became clear for me. Uh, if I were to describe them in one-word form, I would say accolades and assets. I wanted to see my name in lights, right, be famous, and I wanted to pack away the dough. Can anybody relate to any of that, right? <laughs> and for me, my ticket was sports. I love sports. We grew up in an athletic family. Uh, did I tell you I loved ball? My father uh, coached high school football. He, he coached us in baseball, coached basketball for a period. He was an athletic director. And after uh, a practice, we, we were down in Florida. We'd moved from the West Coast out to Florida. And after a practice, he came up to me, and he could see that an idolatry had set in. And he basically said, son, life is short, and it's not about a game. God has a plan for your life, and success is selling out to God's purpose for your life. Great advice. Only for me, it was at odds with my plan for my life. You see, I had an agenda. I had personal goals that I wasn't taking through the filter of, is it, does it align with God's desires? And so now that advice was at odds with my spirit. It really crystallized an internal tension. I wouldn't have said it this way back then, but I really wanted Jesus to follow me. So not too long after that conversation with my dad, I was in this wrestling match. We had a big football game Friday night. Late in the night, Thursday, I'm in this wrestling match, and, and I finally stand up in my room about 2 a.m., and I say, God, this is my life, and this is my plan for my life. Thinking I'd kind of settled it, moved on, there was a big hurricane that formed out in the Gulf. The only time that you can ride waves in the big pond we call the Gulf of Mexico, it's, it's way down in the south. The only time you can r surf is when the storms would come in. And so my brother and I took that storm as a cue to go catch waves. And so there was these massive waves that were breaking on the beach. We call them beach break. And so my brother and I were racing to see who could get to the water first. And, and I was trucking as fast as I could. And this big swell, it, it, it reformed, and just before it crashed on the beach, I just dove headlong into it. And when I hit that water, as I had a hundred times before, this time something happened. It was like a shock just raced through my body. Immediately I knew something was off. Instinctively I knew to lay still. But the momentum of my dive just carried me through the water. I remember being face down and, and groggy. Something was off. I didn't know what. Uh, the next wave, it rolled me over, and as I came to and I began to collect myself, I, I could see the air, I could see the surface, and when I tried to get up, my body wouldn't work. Panic raced through my veins. Here I am underwater. My lungs are crying out for breath. Try as I might, I can't get the surface. In a last-ditch effort, I put my lips together, sought to suck out, suck in air, and I got water. I sucked in water. I passed out. I immediately got caught in what's called a longshore current, and so my body was pulled under and down. My brother saw me dive in, didn't think anything was wrong. He went back to get the football. Some time passes, and he literally walks right up to the place where I dove in, and he looks out in the water, and he can't see me. He thinks I'm playing a joke, and so he leaves where I dove in and begins to look in the bushes, and every moment that passes, I'm dying. After some time of searching, my parents had parked the car, made their way down, and to make a long story short, they joined the search, and they estimate that about five to seven minutes passed from the time my brother saw me dive in to the time my family saw a stranger 
He was waist deep in a slack pool of water and he was lifting up a hand on a corpse. My mom, she hit the beach and began to scream, God, don't take my son. God, don't take my son. My father ran down and pulled my lifeless body out of the surf. I had no heartbeat, no pulse, no body functions. I'd flatlined. Technically, clinically, I was dead. Y'all know the 911 stories. Eventually, my brother got my mom up. They ran to the nearest house. The EMTs, the defibrillators, I was put on a helicopter. Life flighted to Tampa General Hospital, and I don't remember much of the first week. But I do remember gagging, too. I was choking on something, and when I came to, there was tubes in my throat and my nose, sensors all over my body. Couldn't move anything. I could see my father in the corner of the room, and the first words out of my mouth were these. Dad, how did I do in the game? We had a big game at Lemon Bay High. My father looked back and he said, son, you didn't play. You broke your neck. I'd shattered four vertebrae in my neck. I was being sustained on life support. I was totally quadriplegic. And on October 9th, 1995, I learned very personally the reality that life is like a vapor, like a mist that appears for a moment and vanishes away. And along with that radical wake-up call came a new posture, a humility, and a, and a whole like, why, what's happening, God, speak to me. And a question eventually invaded my heart that has forever changed the course of my life. And it is a question that is incredibly important for difference makers to grapple with. And so I offer it to all of us today. See, life is a vapor. At the end of the day, we really can't change that. But what we can do is decide, will we waste or will we invest? One life to live, one life to invest or waste. Difference makers simply choose to invest what has been entrusted to them. And so I know I'm with a a group of world changers, impact makers, folks that want to live their life in line with their purpose. And so the next little while, I'm going to offer some timeless biblical truths, unpack some scriptures that will radically transform your capacity to make the difference you are called to make. And the talk I've entitled simply this, invest your vapor. So if you think with, if you have a photographic memory, awesome, you're cool. If you think with a pen and a pad like me, this would be the time. Grab it. I'm gonna, we're going to unpack some things. Sometimes people will grab phones and take pictures. You're fine with that. doesn't bother me at all. I, I truly do believe that there's some things. I want to add value to your life today. Share some things from Jesus that have been helpful for me that I, I know can be helpful for all of us. And so I do believe this morning there's some truths that if we latch on to them, they will truly help us. And so, so I, 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 want, I want you to make sure you have capacity to capture some of those things, Okay. So the question that we're going to ask and kind of think about for a moment that will set tone is simply this. This is important for people who want to invest. How are we stewarding our lives? You see, sometimes we have to stop and we have to take inventory, right? We can't change the past, but what we can do is we can say, where are we at? What's happening now? What do I need to recalibrate? What would it look like to look different forward? So this is a a non-threatening question. God's grace is sufficient for every day that has passed. We're simply saying from his, this day forward, we'd like 
we would like to invest well, right? And so the question is, is what does our stewardship look like? Is our stewardship aligning with our purpose? Now, let me share just a couple things real quickly. The Bible actually says uh, some, uh, many powerful things, but one of the things that is very in- important for us to, to, to know is this. The Bible says that the earth and all that is therein belongs to the Lord our God. That's super important. Let me make the connect. See, in God's economy, we own nothing. We're a steward, or a modern way of saying it is manager. So all the breath I have in my lungs, uh, the relationships that I carry, my wife is not mine. She's a daughter of God. And I, I, am, I am literally a steward of that relationship. The leadership that he's given me today is not mine. I'm accountable for it. The, the funds, it, there is nothing that ultimately belongs to me. Every perfect gift comes from God. So I am under management. And one day I'll stand before the owner and I'll give an account of the management of what is his, right? So that's important for us to know as we're thinking about investing. And so the question for me, the question for you as difference makers is, how are we doing? How are we doing on the stewardship? So in a very practical way, I want to talk about three resources that every one of us have that each of us may have an opportunity to dial in our stewardship. Sound good? All right, here we go. Ready? So first resource is simply called time. So the question for us is, Lord, how should I spend the time you have given me? Now, a couple quick thoughts. Time is our most valuable commodity. It's a finite thing. It's a non-renewable resource. It's important for us to wrestle that down. The Bible says it this way. The Bible says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. So make the connect. There's many things we can make more of. There's many things we can get back. Time is not one of them. From God's perspective, there is an appointment. He's numbered our days, and ultimately we will pass, right? I mean, that's... I'm Captain Obvious right now, right? (laughs) And the truth is it's just short, right? So we we have to function as we think about the stewardship of time with the knowledge of it's a, a very valuable resource. We only have so much of it, so let's be very wise with it, right? Now, John 9, 4 is very helpful because he actually makes a very direct connection between the action and the posture that we should carry in view of the brevity of life. You see what he does in the scripture? He says, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. See the connection? The night is coming and then no one can work. There is a period that we will be here that we never get back. And in that period, he has plans for us. He has tasks for us. He has, he has a job for us to do. And he simply says, remember, the night is coming. Don't put it off forever. Now, we all have different postures and, and we all approach time or proactivity differently. But I want to just share a, a thought. Any, anybody in here ever heard the term um, paralysis by analysis? Anybody? So, so some, some folks uh, 
they come to maybe this whole principle and they say, yeah, but man, I, I, just, I just need a little more data. Right? I just need to, to know a little more. If God will give me a little more clarity on his will, then I could begin to act. Well, here's a truth that, that I believe unlocks every person, no matter what your, your space is. He says this, he who wishes to know the will of God, it is for him to do it. Now think about that. He said, no, I need to know the will of God so I can do it. That's why I'm stuck. But look what he's getting at. We want to know the mysteries, the nuances, the unique kind of variants for our path. And he says this, I have already made much of my will clearly known. Act on the known will of God, and I will reveal to you the nuances for your particular journey. So, so capture this. The word of God is chock full of promises, exhortations, commands. We have so much clarity ever before us, right? So he says things like, do not forsake the assembling of one another. You all are here, right? You're here, you're assembled. Praise God, you're acting on that call. He says things like, Study to show yourself an approved workman that can rightly divide the word of truth. And you don't need to be ashamed. So what is he saying? You don't have to ask God if he wants you to spend time in his word. He says things like pray without ceasing. You don't have to ask God if he wants you to pray. He says share the gospel, make disciples, give. You see what I'm saying? There are so many commands that we, we, we should, instead of questioning God and and constantly getting stuck, we should actually move on them. And here's what he does. When we are faithful in those small things, when we are obedient and we trust him, and we simply say, we're aligning our lives with what you say, then he begins to reveal and entrust us with more of the details in the unique spaces. And so we we look at what he says in John, and and we start by saying, Lord, I'm going to spend my time obeying, following, moving, trusting you, doing as you say, yes, Lord, I will, and let him move from there. I I was thinking about this and and the power of a life spent spending their time doing what God has called. And I I couldn't help but think of Marie. We work in slums in Africa and in Haiti, and by God's grace, we're serving hundreds of thousands of people right now globally, and uh, all their stories are beautiful. Uh, Marie was caught in intense poverty, she unfortunately lost her father. Uh, she was inc- incredibly poor. Slum of over 300,000 people. Average, average person making about around $1.25 a day. Uneducated, without hope. She came to the center and, and she came to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we began to see her full situation and come alongside her. We were able to, over the last 14 years, fund her education and basic medical. Marie we got to help her to college. She graduated from college. And we just assumed that now she had her ticket out, right? She, she would never be in the slums again. You know what Marie is using her time doing right now? She moved back into the slum. She's a school teacher. And she says, I want to invest my time sharpening the minds and speaking the hope of Christ back into those that didn't have the opportunity I had. What an example. So, difference makers, right, choose to invest versus waste their time. And so here's the handle, here's the takeaway. I'm going to leave you one of these with each one. Here's a thought. Hopefully this rings in our ears. So we we choose to do this. We choose to live today 
for returns tomorrow. Let's live today for returns tomorrow. Church, is this helpful? All right, I want to add value. I want to encourage. I want to spur us on. All right, ready for the second thought? All right, the second resource we want to look at is simply this. So we, we've all been given time, and we've all been given talent. I was trying to do a cliffhanger there. Talent. We've all been given talent. Now, I have the opportunity from time to time to, to interact with people uh, just really all over the world, uh, but interact with people in, in this space. And typically, I find people beginning at a starting point that's either one, that is either in one or two places. So first, uh, you and I both interacted with people that are quite sure that they're talented, right? They're confident, I'm the man, I am God's gift to planet earth, right? (laughs) We've all interacted with people, maybe you say that's me, or maybe you're married to that person, no elbowing, no calling anybody out, right? But here's the place that I find most people in. It's the second category. It's people that are wrestling with, like, what value do I bring to the table? How can, how can my skills be used in the kingdom of God? Maybe you've wrestled with, I'm not a pastor, or I, I don't have a, a singing voice, or, or I'm not an intercessor, and so how could I possibly be used in the spiritual realm? And so I want to start for a moment, and I want to speak the word over you and hopefully dispel the lie of Satan. Heaven's design is coursing through your veins. In case you think that's a little Tony Robbins, I want us to just look to the word of God. Look what he says. He says, for you, God, created my inmost being. Look at the language he uses. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Yes, your parents biologically came together and made up your DNA. But the God who spoke and put the galaxies into place and holds the earth in orbit and sustains all the majesty we see around us in this state of Alaska. He handcrafted you, and he doesn't make mistakes. You were intended, you were formed, you were engineered, you were put together. And that intent comes with design, purpose. That design comes with intent. And he talks about this all throughout the scriptures. Look what he says in Ephesians. He connects these two realities. Look how he starts. He says, for we are God's masterpiece, right? I knit you. I don't make mistakes, right? Some of us are left brain. Some of us are right brain. Some of us are circular thinkers. Some of us are linear thinkers. We come in all different shapes and sizes. We have different spiritual gifts, right? But he's the masterpiece. He says, you're you're, you're on purpose. But then look what he does. He goes on to say, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Look at that. So, or therefore, you give purpose. So, we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. Design. Intense. 
You have the talents of heaven for the purposes of heaven. God has created you uniquely and intentionally to make a difference and impact the world in a way that only you can by the Spirit of God working through your unique creation. And the question isn't, do I have talents? The question isn't, do I have a spiritual gift? The question is, Father, help me invest it in a way that human flourishing results and the glory of God happens. This is his purpose for all of us. I I, I was uh, thinking about this and uh, thinking about a conversation I had with our pastor so my wife and I, we, uh, we go to a church in Birmingham. It's a, a very large church. There's like 19 campuses. There's like 60,000 people. It's a big church. Our pastor's pretty busy, as you can imagine. But by God's grace, he, he's a mentor in my life. I'm very thankful for him. And, and so a few times a year, we get together. And I've been sending him. He loves golf. Any golfers up here? That we still got golf in Alaska, right? I used to knock it around at the local place. All right. So he loves to play golf. There's a few more courses down there. I've been sending him golf balls throughout the year, right? Trying to do those special gifts and here we are at Starbucks in December, and, and at a certain point in the conversation, he says, hey, Micah, by the way, about those golf balls. It's like, I have all the golf balls I need. <laughs> He's like, and honestly, like, I have everything I need. There's really no gift you can get me, so I appreciate the intentionality, but he says, there's only one thing you can do for me. He says, take what I entrust to you and go and help others with it. That's my sole desire. Use, use the equipping. Use what I'm, we're, we're passing along and go put it into work. And I begin to think about that and think about our talents and how God wants us to use it. And I, I want to offer this handle for us. Let's acknowledge our talents before God. Let's just simply commit to work today for returns tomorrow. Yeah, we need to take care of our families. Yeah, we got to pay the bills. But there's so much more than that with the talents that God has given each of us. So you and I, we both have time, and we both have talent. But we also have another resource that God wants us to steward, invest intentionally. The question here is simply this. Lord, how do you want me to use the treasure you have given me? Now, the Bible talks a lot about money. It's one of Jesus' favorite subjects. The particular passage that I want us to look at, it's a New Testament passage. The context is this. Paul is training up a shepherd, Timothy. He's giving them inspired advice by God. And he basically lets him know that, hey, in this family, in this church that you're going to pastor, everybody's called to give, right? We're all called to give back. But he said some will actually have the gift of giving, And typically the gift of giving comes with the gift of earning, right? And he says, I want you to shepherd them and make sure they're aware of important principles that will guide them so they don't get off course because money can be a blessing or it can be a curse. And so it's interesting the tone he uses in Timothy, but he comes out the gate and he says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be haughty. And then we're going to come to our first thought. I'm going to give three thoughts. He says this, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. So here's our first thought. Generosity preserves intimacy. What is it that God desires from us, with us? Relationship with us. 
by faith, we come into right standing with God through Jesus Christ. He wants us to be dependent on him, to walk with him, to be united in fellowship. And then he entrusts us with treasure, a gift to be used for his purposes, and something that should well in us, thank you, God, for this gift, but what does the evil one do? He takes the gift, gift and he makes it a wedge. He sows into us, it's ours. And I, I'm good, God. Like we start, we start on our journey saying, God, bless my business, bless my affairs. God blesses our business, blesses our affairs, and then we have no time for him. We say, what are you, what are you doing mingling in, in my money? And he's like, what? And God doesn't want this for us. He loves us. He doesn't want anything to get between us and him. And he says, listen, when you put your trust in something that literally will burn up, it's short-sighted, and it gets in between us, and I don't want that. Generosity preserves intimacy. The second thing as we think about stewarding treasure, it's important for us to remember, is that generosity saves lives. And he makes this connect for us. See, it's not only good for us and our relationship with God to release and let trust him. It also literally saves lives. And, and we at Vapor Ministries get to see this every day. As I shared with you before, we're serving hundreds of thousands of people on a weekly basis in some of the poorest places on planet Earth. And I stand before you today and I tell you that people that have released treasure and invested it into ministry are literally saving lives right now in Africa and Haiti. People are in the kingdom of God and believing in Jesus Christ because people gave. People are right now able to tend to their families because people said, I want to release that treasure. Generosity saves lives. And, and he, he, he indicates as much in the text. He says, look, command the rich and let them know, let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give willingly, ready to share. He says, look, this is a part of the whole reason. It's in your hands. And I have to be reminded of that continually. It's not mine, God, it's yours. It's for making a difference. The third thing he reminds us of is a principle that's honestly all over Scripture, and I would just simply say it's, it's, it's been probably mishandled in the kingdom of God, and so lots of times people don't want to talk about it, but it is a true principle, and you see it in the text. Generosity has a great ROI, or return on investment. And look, look what he says. He says, look what you're doing. You're storing up treasure for yourself, themselves. There's places that say you're storing up treasure where moth and rust do not corrode. The Bible talks about this. Randy Alcorn has uh, written several powerful books on the subject. Treasure Principle is one I'd recommend, short book. The exhaustive book on the subject is Money, Possessions, and Eternity. It's, it's like an encyclopedia. It's big. But one of the big things that you have to come away with is God incentivizes generosity. He sees the widow's might. He sees the gift made in faith. He takes record of it. It matters to him. It isn't a quid pro quo. It's not that he like owes us in, in the, the terms that we can think about it. But he says, it matters. I watch and I will reward. Believe it or not. So here's what's crazy. You have passages like Proverbs 19 and 17 that connect those two things, right? Generosity saves lives. Generosity has an ROI. Let me share it with you. It's crazy what he does. Look what he says. He who is kind to the poor 
lends to the Lord. And God will, promise, reward him for what he has done. No, no, no. When, when I do something for the poor, I'm being kind to the poor. And in one sense, that's true. But God says, I take note. I draw personal allegiance with the poor. Matthew 25. And when you do to one of the least of these, you do it to me, my brother, and I will reward. It is a promise. You can take it to the bank. Lending to the Lord. And this is what he wants for us. He wants us to break free. He wants us to get out of the wasteful patterns. He wants us to understand that we have opportunity to invest and live a life that is so much more fulfilling and purposeful and impactful than we would otherwise. As I was thinking about this, I was, I was thinking about this young man in Africa. And I was thinking about him because sometimes people say, yeah, one day when I'm rolling in the dough, I'm going to cut some checks. And it don't work that way in God's economy, right? It starts with steady plotting the little things. And I, I thought about Hasmin, this little boy on the, the right. Um, I actually took this picture back in 2005. I was living in Africa. We were building our first center. I, I aimed high because the little boy actually had no pants on. Uh, you can't tell in the picture, but he smelled like a trash can. His hair was turning yellow. His eyes had yellowed out, which is a sign of late-stage malnutrition for an African child. And I was so surprised at what happened just before this. He actually handed me money. He gave me a 20-shilling piece, worth about 40 cents to me. But to this child, he could actually eat a meal a day for about four days. He saw the coin. He assumed it was mine. He was honest. So I handed it back to this little boy, and I said, hey, you're honest. Through a translator, I said, take it. Use it how you wish. Next day, he came to show me what he did with the money. I didn't even recognize him. The reason I didn't recognize him is he had went down and he got his head shaved, got a bath, got lotion put on his skin. He wanted to feel the sensation of being clean. You see, this little boy is some, was somewhere around the age of four, and the reason he smelled like a trash can was he was living in the trash dump. An orphan of AIDS, or actually an assumed orphan of AIDS, we found, I found out his mom was living later and are actually walking with her now, but his father had died of AIDS, grandmother and grandfather, four, and he's knocking on people's doors at night and people are sticking out scraps to a dog occasionally, surviving. We got to wrap our arms around this young man and, and thousands of others through the ministry. And over the last 14 years, we've seen faith in Jesus Christ become a disciple maker. This little boy, he actually has graduated high school, speaks three languages. He's working on his fourth, and he's actually in college prep right now. This is Hasmin not too long ago. A change agent, like you, one that wants to make a difference. Now, what does that have to do with this particular point? Well, we had a marketing firm that said they wanted to donate some services. They flew over to Africa. They took some pictures. They came back, and they said, I wasn't on the trip. And they came back, and they said, hey, look, there's something you need to know. And they gave me this picture. My wife and I have been giving him $40 a month to steward, and he's been taking a portion of that, that treasure, and he's been reinvesting it. He buys rice and grain and he goes into the slum and he says, I'm no longer poor because I have resources and he gives to the poor. He gets shoes and on this particular occasion he went and bought some cleats for a young boy and they caught him in the act of simply taking some of his treasure and going back and entrusting it to help others. You see, difference makers choose to invest 
And when it comes to treasure, maybe a helpful reminder for us could be something like this. Let's spend today for returns tomorrow. Yes, He has given us resource in part for our enjoyment and to care for our families, but there's more beyond it. And you and I have the opportunity to invest. You see, what happens when we, when we do this well, when we think about our time, our talent, and our treasure, and we day in and day out, week in and week out, we steady plod, we say, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to be faithful. There's a cumulative effect. There's a downstream effect. And here is a truth for all those who invest well. Great returns follow faithful stewardship. Let us have a backwards-looking perspective. Let us get the vantage point of that day we will stand before Him in His glory. And let us think of that time. What is it that we, we will wanted to have lived for? What is it that we will wanted to invest in? And I submit the difference makers that choose day in and day out to invest live in such a way that when you look back, there's few regrets. And that's the desire for each of us. So at Vapor Ministries, we, in essence, we actually are a bridge. Men and women, churches, businesses say, hey, we feel led to invest. And then we in turn take that on your behalf, on donors' behalf, and we go into slums or third-world environments, some of the poorest places on planet Earth. And then we move in and we actually execute our mission. So we come in and we establish places. These are, these are centers, uh, hubs of hope in the middle of third-world poverty. Inside of these centers, the smallest is on eight acres, the largest is on around 17 acres. We, we create places for children and youth to play, to do what they love, and then hear about the one that loves them. We, we establish poverty-alleviating outlets to serve the poorest of the poor, create micro-businesses. Ultimately, the, these started as dreams. We hoped one day to build hubs of hope, and by God's grace, we now, on behalf of supporters, have been able to establish five operating centers in some of the poorest places in East Africa, West Africa, and Haiti. And by God's grace, many are coming to find life in Him eternal and a better quality of life today. So like you, we, we embrace God's call to, to minister to the soul of people, to make disciples. We, we believe that it, that is fundamental to the heart and call of difference makers. And as I shared with you before, we just try to do that in a way that is relevant, Right? They happen to love a sport, a particular sport, a sport of choice. We discern that. We figure out what the community rallies around. And once we put the center into play, thousands come, children, youth, and adults. And while they're there doing what they love, they hear about the one that loves them. Disciples are being made as indigenous men and women, people that speak the language, drink the water, understand the culture, are faithfully advancing the gospel. And many of you are a part of that. Praise God for the impact as difference makers sow in. We're also passionate about his call to care for the poor. We want to see life physical. And so in the environments where we work 
intrinsic intense poverty reigns. And so we have egg-laying operations, commercial gardening operations. We provide water, disease prevention training, critical care grants. There's a whole host of poverty-alleviating initiatives. And by God's grace, He is getting glory as life spiritual and life eternal invades places where real intense poverty has reigned. So we love talking about the impact. We love sharing with people about what God is doing. But I want to end our time not with thousands, but the story of one. The gal on the left is my bride, my sweetheart. I I think she's quite cute. The girl on the right, she's a cutie too. Her name is Nashka. My wife and I got to fly into Haiti for the opening of our fifth center of phenomenal team members that are serving God, that are really making the work happen every day. And we got to fly in for the grand opening, and we met this little girl named Nashka. So it's about 9 o'clock at night, night before the center is open. There's a buzz in the community, and we keep noticing that there's this little girl, and it's kind of late, and we haven't seen a parent. So after a while, we start inquiring, and eventually they say, oh, that's the daughter of Eddie. And we say, well, who's Eddie? Say, let us tell you Eddie's story. Eddie, like any good father, wanted to take care of his family, but Eddie was born into difficult circumstances had six brothers and sisters, born in an impoverished slum, and had mental challenges. His family came from voodoo orientation and had practiced witchcraft, and they tried to, through dark magic, undo his ailments. Somewhere around the age, we think of around six, they basically said he's too much of a burden on the family. They took him deep into a forest back behind the community, and they went to sacrifice him to a gods to change their circumstance. Knife to chest, they ultimately decided we can't do it. And so they left him in the woods and said the gods will determine his fate. Little Eddie survived. Some of his brothers and sisters actually used to sneak scraps from the table and stick it into snake holes along the river. He married another gal that was orphaned and was struggling with identity herself. They had two kids. And now Eddie had more responsibility and more burden. Struggled with uh, fatherlessness, struggled with hope and purpose, and now is struggling to care for a family. In desperation, he illegally crossed the border into the Dominican Republic, hiked through 60 miles of bush until he came to Santiago. There, the wrong people caught him. He was extorted, and by the time he came back to Haiti, he was desperate. He was ready to be done with life. But he heard that there was a center coming. We hire locals in the process of building out the center. We hired over 2,000 in the last cycle for the temporary work on the project. He came and shovel in hand, he began to do work on a place in his community that would transform lives. There he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He learned that there is a father that loves him and would never leave him and forsake him. He came to realize that this God loved him so much that he sent his son that if he would believe in him, he would have eternal life. He came to faith. He worked so hard during that project that when we were ready to award permanent jobs, he won the first job, night guard, got promoted to day guard, then grounds crew, and now he is the reason that center is so beautiful. He's the ground superintendent. He makes sure every piece of grass is cut properly (laughs) and defends that center with his life. His little girl was the first little girl enrolled in the league 
She's come to faith in Christ. He's feeding his family from the sweat of his own brow. He's a disciple maker, an elder in his local church. Like you, he's a difference maker. We're serious about touching thousands of lives. But let us never forget that when each of us invests, every one matters. So as we bring our service to close, I want to end with just a few thoughts. One, we would love to connect with you, and we've got all the social stuff if you want to twit or tweet or like or whatever those things are. We'd love to engage with you downstream, so please connect with us. Come back to the table uh, if you want to uh, fill out a card. We've got, uh, we'll follow up with the monthly e-news updates. There's information on the cause. Prayer bracelet is a gift to you. Come back and talk with us if you'd like. But I want to end right here in Kenai, very simply, with two applications. If you're here today and you do not know God through Jesus Christ, you're, you're, you're seeking, you're working through this process, you haven't crossed the line of decision, in view of the brevity of life, your next action is simple. Place your faith and trust in Jesus. Run to him. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I beg you, I urge you today, turn to Christ. Trust in his work on your behalf. And he says he will make you right with God. Life is too short. Give your life to him. And if you're here today and you know Christ, it's simple. Go before God and ask him, where do you want me to adjust? Maybe he's calling you to tweak dials and, and usher, use more of your talents in a way that is more meaningful. Maybe he's asking you to, 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 to be a better steward of time and maybe to carve out more time to help mobilize gospel reach through the church. Maybe he's asking you to relook at your budget and find room to allocate more towards kingdom work. I don't know. I'm not the spirit. Will you go to him today? Will you ask him to show you? And will you choose to say yes as he guides? Faith family, so, thank you so much for your time and attention. Truly a privilege to be with you all this morning. I hope the word of God speaks to you Thank you for your time and attention. God bless you all. Let me pray and close us out. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We exalt your holy name. You are great and you are greatly to be praised. It's all by you. It's all for you. It's all through you. We exalt you and we lift up your name. Father, help us. Help us to love you and love your mission, love your ways so much that nothing gets in between us and you and nothing gets in between us and the difference you have us to make. Help us to invest our lives. Jesus, you're it. We love you. We give ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.